Richard Wormbrand, the founder of The Voice of the Martyrs, was sent to jail by communists for sharing his faith in Christ. While in one of the prisons in Romania where he was held, he was sent to the infamous Room 4. And the only people sent to Room 4 were people with two weeks or less to live. John Groders tells the story. It was the death cell, and Richard was sent to room. He had tuberculosis so bad. He had been beaten. He was so weak, and he was on death's door. And he's sent there for the final two weeks of his life. But, you know, God spares his life. He's in that room for more than two years. Two years. It's ridiculous. And he ushers into death many, many, many other men. And he says many men entered room four an atheist, but not one died an atheist. And that's just his testimony. That's not his philosophy. He watched men make peace with God, even who had lived wretched lives. Jesus never promised his followers an easy path. In fact, he told his disciples that the world would hate them. He sent them out as sheep among wolves. Jesus' words came true in the life of the apostles, and they're still coming true today in the lives of his followers around the world. Join host Todd Nettleton as we hear their inspiring stories and learn how we can help right now on the Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network. I'm so glad that we can be back together learning about how God is working among persecuted believers around the globe. This is the Voice of the Martyrs Radio. I'm Todd Nettleton. You know, the Voice of the Martyrs was founded by Richard and Sabina Wormbrand. They knew what it was like to be persecuted and imprisoned for their faith because they experienced it firsthand in communist Romania. We're going to hear about that today with filmmaker John Groders. John directed a film about Richard and Sabina's life called Tortured for Christ. And during the month of March, you can get a copy of the film on DVD when you donate any amount to support the Voice of the Martyrs' work with persecuted Christians around the world We'll tell you more about that at the end of the program, but if you just can't wait, visit vomradio.net to make your donation and get your copy of Tortured for Christ, the movie. That website again, vomradio.net. I sat down with John Groders to talk about making the film Tortured for Christ, and he began talking about the accurate details that went into telling this true story on film. Our crew, we had, we filmed all over the world, but we'd never filmed in Romania. We didn't know any fixers there. We didn't have any production partners there. It was a new country. So I went on a scout trip with Judy, my wife, who's our producer, and we went over there. We were picked up at the airport by the production partners that we had selected, and we started on this location scout, and the very first thing they did, they, they walked through the woods, we walked past a, a firing range from the army, and we turned a corner, walked down a hill, and now all of a sudden we're in this sort of abandoned old prison cell, and they opened the door and we walked inside the prison. It took about two steps to say we're shooting here. We are shooting <laughs> this here. This is the spot. And yeah, so we went on a few scout trips, and as it as it turned out in the film, we were able to secure access to film, well, inside Gilava Prison and two others, places where Richard and the people were, were actually held. They're big prisons, so we're not saying it was this particular room, although it certainly could have been. He was in this prison for years and years, tortured for years and years, and we wandered through these prisons where we know what horrors took place, and we come across the isolation chambers. Uh, we come across the rooms where they were just herded in and sat in on four inches of standing water, and they just died of pneumonia. And uh, it was very sobering to walk through those places. 
But Richard has not been forgotten. And when we entered Jilava, there was a series of little placards standing there, almost like a museum, although there was no people in there, of the names and the faces of some of the people who had been in that prison. And sure enough, right there is Richard Wormbrand. Wow. Well-remembered, and we knew we had found the place. Wow. You know, we're making a film for Christians. We want to inspire Christians, but we also want them to understand what happened to Richard Wormbrand in prison, what happened in the torture chambers. How did you walk that line as far as we want to show what happened, but we don't want people to run screaming from the theater? Yeah, great question. And you know what? I totally believe that Richard and Sabina wrestled with that that same question when they wrote their books. Uh, if you've read any of Richard's books, he describes what happened. He also says, I'm leaving most of it out. So we don't even know yeah. the full extent. Real early on, Steve Cleary, the executive producer, said to me, John, you don't need to make this film G-rated. Because you're right, we could have tried to tell this story and and – you know, there would have been a good reason to consider that. But my mandate was, no, we we can't tell the story of Tortured for Christ without being honest about what was happening in these prisons. At the same time, we aren't out to shock people or, or make a slasher film or, or show how edgy we can be. It was never about that. And so picking, you know, out of all the stories Richard has told, what are a few of the ones that really indicate the incredible depth of inhumanity and cruelty of the regime. What are a few that are deeply painful to watch because that was real. And what's so powerful is this only as you understand the, the powerful cruelty do you understand the miraculous response that Richard and these Christians had. They still loved their torturers. They still held on to, I hate communism, but I love the men. I hate the system, but I will not love the men. And if we don't take that maybe right to the edge, then the power of that grace coming from Richard I don't think would have been as as impactful and as significant. So we did pick some scenes. And, you know, I can remember one day I was working on the rough cut in my office and my five-year-old and three-year-old grandsons came bounding into the room, you know, Papa G, Papa G, what you working on? They jump on my laps and they go, play the, you know, show us. We we don't care. We can sleep really well. We'll be fine. And I could not push play because of the scene I had just been working on. So, no, I would not take a five-year-old to see this film, Tortured for Christ. I would take, you know, a kid that you felt was ready for that. And we, I don't believe we push it too far. There's not gore or anything like that. But... Um, but you will know we when it. you walk out of the theater, you're going to know that the fact that Richard Wormbrand could forgive his torturers and pray for them and love them is an absolute supernatural miracle of God because when you see the way he was treated, humanly it's impossible. You, you can't love the people who do that to you. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John Groders. He is the director of Tortured for Christ, the movie – This is Tortured for Christ, the book that launched The Voice of the Martyrs, the book that has impacted a generation. I believe this is Tortured for Christ for the next generation, for the next five generations, the next 50 years, told on film, the language of our culture. John, I know there were some moments in the course of the filmmaking that God just showed up, (laughs) or God moved mountains, or God made something happen. Talk about some of those times where you just sense like, wow, God has his finger on this project. He's he's making the the real calls. 
there was a lot of prayer uh, that was around and through and in the making of this movie from from the very beginning to the very end, which was intentional and and smart. <laughs> you know, um, VOM people were praying. Us as a staff were praying. Um, you know, my church. Before we filmed, I, I brought home uh, the actors, pictures of the actors, and we, we put them in front of our church on the screens and, I, and just asked my church to be praying for these people that they don't know from Bucharest, and they did. And so I would expect God to, to be present in that process, and I don't always know if we have the eyes or ears to notice. I mean, I know we don't always, but sometimes it's so obvious and it's so beautiful. So we were shooting a scene where Sabina who had been sent to a prison camp. She was arrested in the middle of the night by the secret police. She was uh, taken from her young son, Mihai, and she was thrown in prison with many other women. And she spent years. And one of the things that the women did was they were sent out to dig a canal that was to connect the the Danube uh, River to the Black Sea. We filmed in winter. We filmed in, in winter, January, February. And Sabina and those women were working in those same conditions. So we had a scene in the movie that we thought would, would really sort of express visually the power of the, the enemy, I guess you'd say, when after a long, cold day, Sabina had been caught whispering because every day she would whisper a Bible verse and spread it to her fellow workers. That was how she carried on the work of the underground church. And the guards heard her, overheard her whispering, and they said, there's the one. She, she's the one who was whispering. So just because they could, they throw her in the icy Danube River. It's middle of winter, and they throw her in the ice. And she broke uh, two ribs that day. She hit rocks in the Danube and certainly could have died of hypothermia. She's in thick, heavy clothes. Well, we wanted to film that scene. Of course, it actually was winter, and the river scene that we shot, we went there a week before filming. I mean, we scouted it actually in October, and it was we picked our location, went back in December and verified our location. And we kept asking, well, what's the weather going to be like February 6th? Well, who can answer that question? You can't. No one could answer. Well, what's the snow like here in February? They looked at each other. Well, sometimes there's snow. So we get out there at one, exactly one week to the day before filming. The snow was five feet deep. The river was frozen solid. I mean, it was one of the worst winters they had seen. And I've got photos. We're walking around. It's like we're in the Arctic tundra. Wow. And truthfully, there's no amount of work we could have done to th- to throw anybody in the river. They would have just bounced. And uh, and it was early in February. We weren't near spring. So just when you ask about how did God show up and did, does God care about details of a film crew's life? You know, I don't know. What I do know is that one week later, we were on the third day of a 40-degree thaw, and the river was clear, and there was mud on the ground, and it was actually perfect conditions for making it look like a nasty winter. I can't believe the women had to work in these conditions, but we could still throw her in the icy river. And we threw a stunt double. We had all safety procedures in place in the river, and then we had our actress crawl out of the river. And the scene comes across extremely well. And when we were done filming, it froze over again and became winter again. So thank you, Lord, for a three-day thaw that allowed us to shoot that scene. At at just the right time, when we needed the river to be water instead of ice. At just the right time. It was water. We were were shooting the scene. I'll give you one more because this just delighted me so much. I love, by the way, I love shooting in winter. (laughs) I mean, I just like the cinematography of winter. There's there's just something about the screen that, that works for me. So I was very happy to be working. It was... Very cold the entire 
entire time we were there. But one day in particular, we were going to shoot the day Richard was abducted on the street. And the location was perfect. And, and that morning when we arrived at the set, it was one of those snow globe type snowfalls, like someone had shaken up the whole thing and then turned it on its pedestal and then just watched these big flakes just floating down. I was giddy because I thought it looked so good on the cameras. We had cameras. And I said to people that morning, you know, Spielberg couldn't have pulled that off. Lucas couldn't have pulled that off. Scorsese couldn't have pulled that off. We just pulled off the most natural-looking snow scene I've ever seen, and it was great. The quality is outstanding. This, this will match up to anything you've seen on a movie theater screen in terms of the quality, in terms of the cinematography. The actors are professional actors. Uh, they do a fabulous job. John, what do you want people to leave the theater with after they watch Tortured for Christ, the movie? Well, I guess the the same thing that I believe as I've read uh, the book, Tortured for Christ, and I, I never met Richard and Sabina. I mean, they, they died in 2001. So I've seen the videos and, and, and heard their stories. So I can't speak on their behalf. I don't even pretend to. But, but what I've read and what I know from their legacy and what VOM carries on, it is never about, oh, woe is me, I am suffering. It is never about that. It is always about the power of faith in suffering. And so you cannot miss that message because not just Richard, but some of the other characters who were in those situations, their faith came alive in such a way that it, it almost makes you, this can sound wrong, wish for it. And even Richard, when he came to America at times, says, I really miss the passion of the underground church who knew at any second the secret police could barge through those doors. And they did. And once they barged through the doors, it did not go well for you. And the reason we showed the carcer and some of the scenes in the torture is to let you know this wasn't just a slap on the wrist. But despite that, there were no phony Christians. There were no lukewarm Christians. Well, the lukewarm Christians go away. If, it's yeah. gonna, if it could cost you your life to follow Christ, if you're not in it all the way, if you're not in it for the right reasons, you go home because it's not worth it. What does that mean for us today? I mean, I think this film, and I think Richard's writings, I think Voice of the Martyrs, as we share the journey, because we know that persecution wasn't just yesterday's problem. It didn't only happen back in Roman times. It didn't only happen back in communist times. It happens right now. If you don't know that, then Voice of the Martyrs is there for you with, with <laughs> newsletters we and magazines and this radio program and every other person that you interview on this radio show, a lot of them are Christians who have come out of persecution. Today you're talking to an American from Michigan, but it's happening today. And and that doesn't mean God is not present. It doesn't mean that God will not be present should it ever happen to you or to me. And God willing, if persecution ever knocks right on my front door, the very same Holy Spirit that Im just completely filled and, and helped to endure and helped to witness even in the midst of suffering, Richard and Sabina and the other Christians of the day will be there for us too. And it can, can change the way we live out our faith. Yeah, it absolutely can. We're talking today on Voice of the Martyrs Radio with John Groders. He is the director of Tortured for Christ, the movie. John, I know we don't like spoilers when we're going to see a movie, but this movie ends a little differently than, than maybe what we think a, a so-called normal movie would end. Why is that significant? Why is that important? Yeah, <laughs> this is fascinating. You know, 
Um, spoiler alert, Richard does not die in prison. I'll tell you that right now. Um, it, 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 I did mention it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and it's amazing. It's absolutely a miracle that he didn't. You know, if, yes. you, if you don't know the story of Richard, he is thrown into what's called Room 4 in a place called Targu Okna, a prison up north in the Carpathian Mountains. And the only people sent to Room 4 were people with two weeks or less to live. Uh, that's just it was just sort of like you know pre-embalming room basically, basically the death cell yeah. it was the death cell and Richard was sent to room he had tuberculosis so bad he had been beaten he was so weak and he was on death's door and he's sent there for the final two weeks of his life but you know God spares his life he's in that room for more than two years <laughs> two years it's ridiculous and he ushers into death many 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 other men and he says one of the great lines in the movie is, many men entered room four an atheist, but not one died an atheist. We end the actual film on a scene that I find really inspiring and really cool because the, the men are sharing communion in their prison cell. And they've got nothing. They've got a little teeny crust of bread that doesn't even split eight ways. And they've got some gross-looking water. But they're singing and they're smiling. And Richard used to often say, oh, the communists were so nice to us. They even gave us musical instruments. What? Well, he's talking about the chains that bound their arms and legs. And they would drop their chains and and they'd make this sort of rhythm. And I can only imagine what they would have sang. Well, what would they have sang? So in in working on the screenplay, i got to admit I'm not a, a, a huge a teacher of early Romanian hymnology. So uh, thankfully the internet's out there and we, uh, we were looking around for what, what might they have been singing? What were some Romanian hymns that they might have been singing? Well, we discovered uh, a writer by the name of Nicolae Moldovanu. And I just found out he was a Romanian hymnologist who was in the early 20th century. And just randomly, I started listening to some songs that had been recorded by by this writer, Moldovanu, by some uh, choirs and things. And I was looking for a song that felt right. Uh, I wouldn't know what the lyrics were because I didn't have any idea. I was only listening to the melody. And I wanted something that had a, a hopeful feel and yet was a little bit somber. Right. <laughs> kind of a lot to ask. So I didn't need a happy, happy song. I also didn't want a funeral dirge. For whatever reason, I happened to find this one song called Nam So We, and it was just the right blend of tone. So without even knowing what I was really doing, I'm like, oh, that's a great song. Let's see if we can get permission to use that song. So there's a scene early in the movie when Richard and Sabina and, and the friends are meeting in the, sh- in the house for the house church, and we show them singing. They sing a little bit softly. They're not trying to attract attention, but they're still joyful. And we don't know what they're singing, but they're singing this haunting melody. That same melody then, it reemerges at the end of the film. Now Richard's in prison. He's been in prison for a long, long time. But there is a smile on his face and he's dropping those chains, those musical instruments, and they're humming. And the astute movie observer might notice it's the same tune that they had sung earlier in the movie. The, the movie kind of then moves, and you start to hear this Nam So We by a choir that's modern and beautiful as we sort of go through the closing credits. A wonderful song. Well, here's what I learned along the way. Moldovanu was in prison with Richard. They knew each other, and they both recognized Christ in each other powerfully. I didn't know that when, when the song was picked. There's actually video of an interview with Moldovanu where he talks about laying on the cell of a prison floor right next to Richard Wormbrand 
this is another God moment in the in the course of this film. Like you choose this song based on, hey, yeah, that sounds, yeah, I think that's a good one. That sounds right. Absolutely. All of a sudden, hey, it's this song about facing persecution, uh, about God's faithfulness. And I got to tell you, when the Romanians that we were working with, who were fantastic, fantastic people to work with, when they heard this song, their song, I mean, the whole crew got energized by this. It was, it was a great, I could see it working in them. And you're right, it's a God moment. I take zero credit for this. It was <laughs> luck. It wasn't luck. It was the Lord. But here's the thing. As perfect as the song was, none of us, unless right. we speak Romanian, have any idea what it is saying. Well, the, real, the translation of the title would be, I will not forget. Jesus, Lord, uh, I will not forget. And it's, a, it's an amazing lyric. But there was no natural way for us to, I mean, I didn't really want to put the English translation on the screen. It would kind of break the mood. So here's the idea that, that kind of emerged is the movie ends. But before the credits come up, you are sort of seeing the end of the movie and you're hearing Nam Sui. Well, Keith and Kristen Getty, if you're a, at all a fan of Christian music, you may have heard of Keith and Kristen Getty, an Irish couple who have sort of emerged, I think, as the leading modern hymnologists of, of our time. And they're a, a couple that wrote a song called In Christ Alone. And I'm not sure there's been a song. I, I would be hard-pressed to think of one, maybe in the last 50 years, that has that has sort of swept the whole world as powerfully as this one song in Christ alone. I've been all over the world. Everybody sings it. Everybody knows it. We asked Keith and Christian Getty and their band to come to the 50th anniversary of Tortured for Christ, a celebration that was held in Bartlesville, and to bring their band. And we asked them to do their arrangement of this Moldovanu hymn. Like, can you guys take this four-part harmony choral hymn and put it into a melody of, for Christian Getty? And oh my goodness, they did a Really, I think, fantastic job. It's got a little Irish flavor. It's sort of like a touch of river dance. And I think Moldovanu would be really pleased. So the movie ends. We enter our world. And there's Christian Getty and the band. And she sings the song in English. And the words are very, very powerful. And I just sit there and sort of hear this song. And then Christian says, would you all stand with me and worship our Lord and the Son? And she starts into In Christ Alone. So on the movie screen, we shall see, uh, Todd, if this works, but there's no reason that we cannot, in a movie theater, sing a song of worship to our Lord. In that moment, the Holy Spirit will be there. We are invited to respond to Richard's story, to respond to the gospel, to respond to the idea of suffering by singing that song uh, from life's first cry to final breath. This is the power of Christ in right. me. And it's a very, very powerful yeah. song. And so I just sing that song when we, when we get to that part of the movie. And that's how we end in community, belting out the lyrics. And, you know, it's interesting because the 50th anniversary event where we filmed the Gettys singing this, we had a little clip of that that we put on our Facebook page, the Voice of the Martyrs USA Facebook page. And we had several Romanian people comment on the clip. Oh, yes, that's a Moldovanu hymn, but I've never heard it in English before. I don't even know if it had been translated into English before this, before the Gettys actually sang it. 
You can experience that music and the whole film that we've been talking about. John Groders, director of Tortured for Christ, the movie, has been our guest here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio. And we'd like to send you a copy of this film on DVD. It's our way of saying thank you when you make a gift during the month of March to support The Voice of the Martyrs' work with persecuted Christians around the world. The DVD is also available from different retailers and streaming services, But why not, instead of just buying a DVD, also give to support persecuted believers? I know that this film is going to inspire you, and I hope that you'll take advantage of this chance to receive a copy of the DVD. To make a donation, visit vomradio.net. We'll give you a link right at the top of the page. Again, the website, vomradio.net. John Groders is not only a film director, he also hosts a podcast called No Shame. It's about the intersection between faith and culture, and he's actually interviewed me. I've been a guest on the No Shame podcast, so if you want to hear that interview, look up No Shame wherever you get your podcast or visit johngroders.com. Next week, we're going to hear from a guest who grew up in Finland, which shares a border with the old Soviet Union. And as a young man, he began to cross that border, smuggling Bibles to give the people of the Soviet Union hope in Christ. And from there, God called him to work among Muslims in the Middle East. We're going to hear that dramatic story next week, right here on The Voice of the Martyrs Radio Network.